Good morning, everyone. Can you all hear me? Uh, it's uh, good to be with you here this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, will you please open them up to the book of 2 Peter? We're in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. That's our main section that we're going to be unpacking this morning. But having said that, we are going to read all nine verses that we have gone through so far, just to help us with a little bit of context. So 2 Peter chapter uh, 1, verses 1 to 9. It goes as follows. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having uh, forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much that we get to come and enjoy you this morning. We get to delight in you. We thank you for your words. And I know, Lord, that we've had a lot already going on this morning, so I just pray that you would help us to be able to fix our eyes on Jesus and be able to concentrate, lay aside all the distractions of a Sunday and the coming week and the past week. And ultimately, Lord, we pray what Psalm 115 says, not to us, but to your name, give all the glory. And so, Lord, we pray that this morning, that every word that comes out of my mouth will be for your glory, and every word that's my own, that it would fall on deaf ears. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We find ourselves in a rather interesting passage this morning. It's a, it's a, it's a little different if we're looking at verses um, 8 and 9 particularly here. Peter gives us two major warnings or incentives or encouragements um, to supplement our faith with the qualities that he was talking about that we spoke about last week in verses 5 to 7. And uh, these, if we take this verse, these two verses, 8 and 9, just out of context, in isolation, by themselves, it might come across, and it does kind of come across as harsh and hard, doesn't it? But the beauty of systematic preaching as we go through verse by verse or a systematic approach to Scripture is it makes sure that we as readers and as hearers of the Word don't do that, but get the context in which Peter was trying to communicate. And what that does for us is it makes sure that we don't misunderstand him and that we are able to correctly apply what he is saying, particularly in these tough two verses that we find ourselves this morning. So that's what we're going to want to do. We want to make sure that we grasp the fullness of what he has said. And normally I try not to spend time on recap because we have it online, but I just think it's so important, as we do it this morning particularly, then I'm going to do my very best to try and get a bit of a recap of what we have done over the last couple of weeks so that we might have that stirred up in our, our minds and that we might have that in the forefront of our minds as we talk particularly about what Peter is going to say. So let's try to do that, and I'm going to try to do this concisely and as quickly as I possibly can. But the first thing that we need to remember is the reason why Peter is writing. We see this in verses 11 and 12. Peter um, goes on to say that he wants to stir up a way of remembrance of us, of all the important things that he wants us to grasp, because he is about to die. He remembers and, is, uh, and realizes that he is about to be martyred for his faith. And like a parent who is on their deathbed, speaking to their child, he wants to make sure that those he writes to, and essentially to us as well, that we get the most important things. And so this means Peter is straight to the point. 
the, the four sermons that we have done on this so far have been quite heavy, haven't they? A lot of small verses, but lots of content. Because Peter is being direct. He's got he's not, no time to beat around the bush or get there slowly. He's being direct. And so in order to do that, he, he sometimes speaks directly, regardless of how that might make us feel. And we kind of see that in our verses this morning. But also, as a parent who's dying on the bed and is speaking to their children, you, you give this advice and, and give guidance out of love, don't you? It is out of a deep sense of love that Peter writes these words. He doesn't write this book haphazardly, but out of a deep love that his, those who read this would get the most important fundamentals, excuse me, the most important fundamentals, that essentially that they would love Jesus and pursue after him. And so how does he do this? He tells us that you and I, Sitting in here, if you are a Christian, have a faith inside of you that has been given to you that is not uh, subpar. It is not below average. It's not even just above average. It is on the same equal standing of that of the apostles. And if you have this faith, if you are a believer and you've got this faith, it means that God has granted to you through his power and through his might all things pertaining to life and to godliness. All things, not just some things, all things. And, and we not, must not over-spiritualize this. He has given to us things certainly for our spiritual life, everything that you need to be a believer, to follow Christ and to follow him well. He has given it to you, but also he has given to you everything pertaining to life. He separates us. He doesn't say godly life, but life and godliness all the elements that you might need for life, he will give it to you. The, the hardness and difficulty of life, he will supply your needs. Now, that might sub- sound like to you at the beginning like a bit of the prosperity gospel, but I want to warn you that it isn't. What Peter isn't promising you here is that you will get a Lamborghini tomorrow if you name it, claim it, and frame it. That you'll be able to get a house in the Bahamas. Those aren't what he is, that is not what he's saying here, but essentially what he's saying is that if you live a life that is godly and you live out the purpose in which God has called you to, the plan that he has for you and for you and for you and for me, different as they might be, he will give us every need that we need to live out that plan that he has for us. Every need he will supply. Essentially, he's echoing Jesus in Matthew 6 where he says, seek first the kingdom of God, which Joe mentioned this morning. And his righteousness in all these things will be added unto you. As you seek God's kingdom and you pursue after what he has for your life, he will supply every need. Isn't that incredible? Amazing faith. And he's trying to stir up a love for Jesus. And he goes on to say, well, if you want this, if you want this incredible promises, if you want this, how do you get it? You get it through getting to know Jesus. So love him, pursue after him, and go after him. But it's not only that. He goes on to say that also we have been given every great and precious promise that he has given to us. Or 7,959 verses, I think Matt said. All those verses pertaining to promises, those are ours in Christ. This is what we have. And why has he given us these promises? Well, he goes on to say, so that we might become partakers of the divine nature. Essentially, so that we might start to live and look like Jesus. That we might be like him. And in light of that, Peter says, this is your faith that you have been given. It is available to you as a Christian, this fullness of this wonderful faith. In light of it, take hold of it. Take hold of it and live it out. And how do we do that? Oh, verses 5 and 7 tells us how. He says, supplement this faith with these qualities. Supplement your faith with a virtue, with a zeal, with a determination. Oh, has your heart been stirred by this gospel? Let it stir in you a zeal for Jesus. Let it happen. But not only be zealous recklessly, but have a knowledge, a practical streetwise knowledge on how to live out this faith. Not only know how to live it out, because you might know how, but not have the self-control to do it, but rather so then add self-control to it. Oh, but believer, you'll fall, you'll mess up, you'll make mistakes. So make sure that you add a steadfastness to that faith so that you don't give up, that you get you up again and you keep on going. But add a godliness so that you don't become self-righteous and pride, prideful. Look at what I have achieved. Oh, no, depend on the righteousness of Christ. 
at a brotherly affection because we can be as great as we are, but if we don't love each other, then what are we? But also add love, not only for each other, the body, but all people and all, everyone around us. That's what Peter says we ought to do. And that's the brief summary. I'm sorry that it wasn't as brief as I'd hoped it was going to be, but that's the brief summary of what we've discussed so far. But Peter is aware that as we hear that, our hearts go, oh, that is great, but we just don't do it. Ah, that that requires a lot of effort, because he does say make every effort. And so he is aware that we might not do it, and so he wants to warn us or encourage us to do so. And that's what our two verses come into this morning. He does that by encouraging us to make sure we take this faith seriously and we add to this faith these qualities that he has spoken about. And he does this in two ways. He does so one in a positive light, a positive warning, a positive incentive, and one negatively. And uh, so what we're going to do this morning, and we're going to start off with a negative. I've learned this from Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite preachers. He always starts off with the negative and ends off with the good. And I like that. Do you, if you ask me, do you want to hear the good news or the bad news? The answer is I want to hear the bad news than the good news. Uh, because rather, let's end off on something fun and nice. And so he does it this morning. And by the way, I've I got to give a lot of what I have to say this morning to Martin Lloyd-Jones. He, his commentary on this really helped me. So we're going to look at verse 9 and look at the first warning. Does that make, that does make sense? Does, are you all following me here? Good, because I wouldn't be able to do that all again. Um, so that's where we're at. So let's look at verse 9. Let's read it again. It says... For whoever lacks these qualities, if you have not added them on and increasing them in your life, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Let us stop there. He's so nearsighted that he is blind. He's saying here that if you have not added these qualities to your life, that kind of a person is a person that's nearsighted. They can't see far. Nearsightedness means you can't see far. You can only see pretty close. This is a person who can only see what's immediately around them. I think of my wife. She's a very blind. She has to look at things that are close by without a contact. And as you are nearsighted, this is a person that does not essentially look and think about the future things, but only thinks about the immediate and the present. This person is a person that thinks about the temporal and the now, and that is their priority. They have forgotten what the, what the fundamental purpose of the Christian life is. They've forgotten that there's a goal in mind that there's gotten that there's eternal life to live and to live for. This is a person that is worried about the world and its glamours and its glitz and its glamour, at what it has to offer. This is a person that cares more about those kinds of, those kinds of worldly things rather than the things of God. Essentially, this is a person that has forgotten the goal of the Christian life. You're like a person has, who has gone on a journey who has set out a journey but forgets on why they have gone out and started the journey, forgets on where they're going. What's the purpose of me going where they are, they are clueless? Has this ever happened to you? Headed into the kitchen and as you walk there, you're like, ah, I was going to get something. Why am I here? Has that happened to you? That happens to me quite regularly. I walk into a room, I'm like, what? why am I in this room? And you go and sit down, oh, that's why, and I have to go back again. It's like my son, he's, he's two and a half. Um, and it's this daily struggle, Every, morning and evening, when he has to get changed. And I call him, Malachi, come, let's get changed by, guy, come, let's, let's get done. And he, that's, that's get him to leave whatever he's doing, because he's just going to do something first. It's a struggle. And as he, he's walking to the bedroom, he gets distracted inevitably by something. Gets, forgets what the, the goal is. I'm very goal-driven. He forgets and he stops and he grabs my tape measure that I used the night before and starts stretching it out, starts measuring stuff. No, boy, put that down. I'm, just, I'm nearly done. And he puts it down. And as he comes, he runs and he jumps on his bed, does leg drops on his bunny, wrestles with it. And I have to grab him and put him there. Got his clothes ready, start to change him. And it's kind of like a wrestling match as I put it on. And then as I let go of him to grab the shirt, he runs off immediately to go grab a ball that he has been eyeing. And it's very frustrating to me. Sanctification takes place in my heart. Or I just remember how sinful I am in that process. And I, man, he's a boy. He's, 20, uh, he's two and a half. It's going to take until he's about 21 until he sorts it out, until his attention span gets going. But he's, we, we're like that. We forget what our goal is. If you do not add these qualities to life, you've forgotten what your goal is all about. And the New Testament hasn't. 
New Testament is clear on what our goal and primary goal is as believers. It is to enjoy God and to see him. To see him and enjoy him and to have him and get as much as you can of him. That is the primary purpose of what we need as believers. That's what Peter wants us to get. And this is not just a Peter thing. This is not new to Peter and nowhere else in Scripture, but we see this in other places in Scripture, that if we are wanting to enjoy God and to see Him, we ought to add these qualities to our life. For without them, believer, Christian, someone who is saved, you will miss out on the fundamental purpose and you'll miss out on all that is available to you. Oh, you'll be saved, but you will live a poor life in comparison to what you can have. And we see this in other parts of Scripture. Uh, we've preached on it before in Matthew 5, verse 28, in the Beatitude, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If you want to see God, you have to become pure. Maybe that's Jesus speaking, so let's maybe take the rights of Hebrews. He says in Hebrews 12, verse 14, he says, Strive, go for, make every effort, if you want to use Peter's language, for peace with, for peace with everyone. And it goes on to say, and for the holiness without which no one will see God. Do you want to see God, believer? Do you want to enjoy him? Then, as Peter says in his first epistle, be holy as God is holy. Add these qualities to your faith. Do it. For without it, Peter says, you are short-sighted, you are blind, you have forgotten the goal, you've forgotten the purpose of what it is to know God. Add these qualities to your faith. He goes on. He goes on to say these things. He says, for, uh, he goes, let's read verse 9 again. He says, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Peter says, if you do not add these qualities to your faith, or do not supplement your faith with these qualities, uh, you have forgotten that you were cleansed from your sins. In other words, uh, this person who does not add these qualities is not only uh, short-sighted in that they cannot only see forward and the goal and the purpose, but they're also short-sighted in that they've forgotten that what has happened in the past. They can't see forward and they can't see behind them. They've forgotten that Christ has died for our sins. They've forgotten that they too have once been forgiven. We've forgotten why Christ came. And I think we've got Christmas trees up here, or whatever you might think of that or not. It's a, it's a reminder we're in the season of celebrating the coming of Jesus, the incarnation of the second person uh, of God. And we get to remember that he came. Why did he come? What was his reason for coming? For fun? So that he might just get to try it out? No, he came so that he might set us free from sin. So that we might be freed from sin. We see this in Matthew 1, verse 21. You shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people for their sins. And he would live this perfect life and then ultimately shed blood and die. Why? Why? Titus uh, goes on to say in Titus 2, verse 14, it says, Who, here talking about Jesus, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for Good works. Do you believe this? I hope you do. Do you believe that Jesus humbled himself, left the glories of heaven, where angels worshipped him, where he was being praised, as he was worthy to be praised, left that for love because he loved you so much and was born as a, a, a little baby? who would suffer the hardships of life, who would be hungry and thirst, and as a father of a newborn, cried a lot, I'm sure, as he was needed some food, and Mary needed to be woken up so that he would feed. They didn't have alarms back in those days. And as he went through the hardships of life, of kicking his toe, being hungry, being rejected by people, losing a father at a young age, having to lead a family as a, the man in the family at a young age, having to take and provide and care for them, having the hardships of life that he would do so, but then choose some 12 to follow him. One of them would betray him. The other 11 would uh, reject him and abandon him in his darkest hour where he would be beaten beyond recognition. 
that he would have a crown of thorns placed onto his head, where he would die on the cross, a shameful, humiliating death, nailed to a cross where he would be mocked, ridiculed, spat on, his clothes gambled in front of him. And he would do so and die and three days later rise again. wise, so that you might know him, that you might be forgiven of your sin, and that you might enjoy him forever. Do you believe that? Because if we do, then, then the only logical conclusion of this church is that we would flee from sin and pursue righteousness. How can we say that God himself would die for our sins and have it taken away and yet enjoy sin? And not care. Oh, he says the logical conclusion is to do two Peter, I mean two Timothy two twenty two, where it says, "Flee from your youthful fashions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace." Along the along with those who have called upon the Lord with a pure heart, make every effort to add these qualities. Cast your sin aside. Make every effort to add these qualities to your faith. For it is the only logical conclusion to respond differently, to not to do so, Peter says, you have forgotten the primary purpose of what the gospel is all about. You have forgotten what Christ has come to do for you. You have forgotten, believer, I'm talking to Christians this morning, what Christ has done for you. And here's the solution that we need for this warning, is we need to focus on verses 1 to 4. We need to, if you're wanting to no longer become nearsighted and be able to see into the distance to get the ultimate goal, if you want to be someone who remembers and takes seriously sin, focus on the cross and on the gospel. Because there's clearly something that needs to be stirred in our hearts, a fire that needs to be set inside of us that we would take these things seriously. And in that starts the first quality of virtue or zeal, determination. But we need to, that's why Peter starts off with verses 1 to 4, so that our hearts might be warmed, so that we might add to this faith. We might supplement this faith. That's the solution for many of us this morning, here and watching online, is that we need to make sure that we focus on the gospel. That's the beauty of communion. That's why we want to devote ourselves to it. I'm so sad that this COVID thing has meant that we've had to stop it for a season. But the beauty of breaking the Lord's Prayer, the reason why we devote, I mean, to the Lord's Supper, and the reason why we devote ourselves to it is because it stirs a reminder of the gospel in our hearts. It's hard to partake of it and, and take, uh, forget why we've been saved and forget what God, what God has done. Let's look at verse 8. We're going to look at the, maybe he puts it a little bit more positively. I hope I bring it a little bit more positively across. This verse 8, it says this, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, let me just stop there. I hadn't planned on saying this, but I want you might be saying, Yeah, Joe, you're preaching to the choir here. I've been a Christian for a certain amount of time in my life. I've got this down. This is here that not only are these qualities yours, but they ought to be increasing. This is Peter at the end of his life saying, You always will need to grow in these. You always will need to pursue in these. Are these qualities increasing in your life? You always need to be going for it. He goes on to say, uh, to keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ineffective. I think the problem with many Christians today, and I'm not just talking about us as a church, but just in a general statement, blanket statement, is that we have become ineffective or we've become idols. Um, and we, we say we believe these wonderful truths that we have spoken about in verses 1 to 4. We believe that Jesus has done this for us, that he's granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness, and we hold to it. But actually, the outworking of that in our lives is, is very iffy, to say the least. We say we hold to it, but the outflow of that seems to be a little bit different. But that's not the cases in other things that we are determined and zealous about. When it comes to our hobbies, we give ourselves wholeheartedly to them. When it comes to games we play, we give our energy to them. When it comes to business, we pour out our energy and hearts into it because we find these things as vital. 
But yet we make this incredible claim that God is interested in us and we are interested in God, and yet somehow there is no change in our life. There's no difference in, the, in, in that. We say that we can know God because the Son of God died for us, but what do our lives, do our lives express that? And, I, and I'm, I'm particularly worried about the modern-day church in general. I think that we have, in comparison to generations gone by, we have fallen short in comparison to them. In the 60s, you were a committed Christian if you went to church three times a week. Now, you're a committed Christian if you come three times a month. It's different. Back in this old generation, they were a generation that loved to pray. Prayer meetings, when they were held, came, and, and people were a part of them, and people prayed fervently. Nowadays, our prayer meetings seem to be a whole lot less slim because it's just we're a little busy in time. How can we make it on a Wednesday night to our prayer meetings? And I, I'm sorry, I, I can hear myself. I'm sounding hard. But again, remember Peter's framework, and hopefully mine as well, that this is out of love. He's being direct because of love. But he, he's saying here that are we taking seriously the things of God? Has, are we being active? Is this understanding of our faith changing the way we live? Do we pray well? Do we send out missionaries well? Do we care about missions? Man, back in the 60s, we had mission organizations being established, sending missionaries out. Nowadays, my generation, let me talk about my generation particularly, we are so scared of sharing our faith, not because we will be persecuted, but because we will commit the cardinal sin of our age, and that might be that we might offend someone. Oh, horrible. And I worry, I worry about us, I worry about our generation, that we are striving for a, a preaching that is, will make you fuzzy and good inside. That you'll, you'll feel, come away feeling, ah, that was good, but it was just this general clapping of who you are rather than a speaking of the truth. Peter doesn't allow that at the end of his life. He does not care. He speaks directly. But what is Peter getting at here? Why, what is his main point? He says, that our activity must be a result of our character. Our activity must be a result of our character. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it like this. He says, you must be something and become something before you do anything. Now, I must caution us here, that does not mean that we have to be super busy. The New Testament and Peter here is not asking us to become busy bodies, be involved in every activity. I've been involved in churches before where we make ourselves super busy, but it has no outworking of what Peter is trying to achieve here. What Peter is saying here is don't make yourself busy with lights and, and, and big events that are attractional, but rather go after things and give yourself to things that develop your character, that develop you. That makes you become more like Jesus. Because if we look at verse 4 of what we've been speaking about here, it says that so that you may become partakers of this divine nature. That you may. Church, this is not something that automatically becomes yours. Becoming like Jesus is not something that just happens haphazardly. But rather it is something that you have to give yourself to. And so we ought to give ourselves not to a busyness or not to idleness, but to a activities that are intentional in making us more like Jesus. The second part of this verse, and we'll end off with this one, is that it says this. I'm just trying, I'm trying to find verse 8 here. It says here, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus, uh, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. If we give ourselves this kind of activity, it will stop us from having a fruitless, fruitless one. The more we become like Jesus, the more we become holy, the more others will see us and be drawn to God through our character and through our actions that are good. We see this expressed wonderfully for us in, in, Matthew, in Matthew 5, verses 14 and 16. It's a famous verse, but let me read it anyway for you. It says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do a people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see you, see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
This passage comes immediately after the Beatitudes. We are to be at the characteristics of the Beatitudes, add the characteristics that Peter is speaking about here into our lives, and our light will shine bright in a world that desperately needs it, in a world that is dark, in a world that needs Christ. The world will see our holy actions and our, what, who we are and will be drawn to it, says Scripture, not me, not Joe, says Scripture. And I think what happened is that sometimes we get into this false narrative that we need to have the glitz and glamour of a church service in order to attract our friends. That we need to have flashy lights and smoke machines and the latest equipment and the kiff-sounding band and the most phenomenal type preacher. That we need to make sure that we have the best organizations and events held. And in that way, people will be attracted into it. And I I think this is the reason why the church isn't expanding, is because what we are trying to do is not what Scripture says we ought to do. And and for some of us, this might have even been a personal experience. And and, and I know I struggled with this as a teen, particularly, is that when I wanted to reach my friends, my, my goal was not to live a holy life. My goal was to live a life that looked like theirs, but still Christian, in the hope that I would show them that Christians are still hip and cool. And based on my experience, and I'm sure based on yours, is that doesn't work, does it? Because they go, I can have everything that I have, but I just don't have to come to church on a Sunday. I can sleep in late. I don't have to give myself to certain religious activities. I can be the same. But friends, if we're wanting to reach this world, it's not by being hip and cool and having the best facilities, though God has blessed us with some awesome ones. It's by the nature of our character. It's by the way we live, by the activity we give ourselves to. And if we do that, people will be drawn in. And Jesus is our perfect model of this. Jesus modeled this for us. He had the sinners coming in. They dined with him, they hung out with him, they enjoyed him. There was something different about this man than that of the Pharisees. There was something about this man that was different. And it was not that he acted like they did. He was holy and perfect. But it was these characteristics that he had in his life. That he was zealous. That he had a knowledge. That he was self-controlled. That he was godly. But he had brotherly affection and love. He had all of these. It was his grace that drew them in. Friends, it is by our adding these graces to our lives that the world will come to know Christ because we will give ourselves to things that are important, not to things that are just to entertain. I, I again want to frame this for you. I, I, that might have come across hard this morning. But the goal of Peter here is that he is about to die, so he is speaking straight. He's speaking truth. He has no time. doesn't want to fluff around. And he speaks hard and truth, but he does so out of love. And friends, we find ourselves in a unique season in a global pandemic where you might catch COVID and might die. For some of you, you might be the right age and the fitness and don't have the comorbidities and you're going, that's not me. Life comes at you quickly and can be taken away from you in an instant. My wife was driving to, to drop my son off at school on Thursday morning and she had a car accident like this on the highway can be taken from you. Everyone's fine and healthy. I just want to add that in there. Everyone's good. But it couldn't have been. It it might not have been. Why waste time? Let's be truth. Let's go after the real things that are vital. Add these qualities to your life. Be determined to do so. Make every effort to do so, says Peter. Why? Because in them you'll see God and enjoy him. In them you'll have the purpose of what your life is about. In them you'll have a fullness of joy. In them you'll gain more of God. How incredible is that? Let us pray. We're just going to respond here a little bit. and um, I don't want to rush away. What has God been saying to you this morning? What is it in your heart that is God has been touching? Is it a need to resettle and refocus and re-envision the gospel again for your life?
Do you feel that you're nearsighted, that you've gotten attracted to this world and forgotten your purpose? Is it, do you, have you forgotten that he has forgiven your sins? Do you feel idle and pursuing after things that aren't worth pursuing after? Do you feel fruitless? What part of those qualities do we need to add? Lord, we we thankful for your words. We're thankful that you give us instructions that are sometimes a little difficult to hear. For we know that when you do so, you do so out of love for us. And Lord, I, I pray for us this morning, and, and even those who are watching online, maybe now or sometime later on today, that that Lord, you would that you would draw us closer to Jesus. That, Lord, you would stir up a passion for the gospel in our hearts. That we would be in awe again of the wonder of what you have done for us. Our Lord, but that we would not be idle and ineffective and, and, and unfruitful. But uh, that we would be a church that has seen what our purpose and goal is. Is to gain you and to make you know and to enjoy you. And that we would have be motivated by the fact that we have been forgiven. So that we would be active and fruitful for the glory of Christ, we pray. Make us a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Use us, Lord, to reach the city for the glory of Christ, we pray. Give us wisdom on how to do that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand as we sing our songs. Thank you.
What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. Because death could not hold you, and the veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. Heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. Let's sing to him. And you have no rival, you have no equal, now and forever, God, you reign, yours is the King. Yours is the glory, yours is the name. Your victory, Jesus, you are enough. 
It's your victory, Jesus, you are enough. Because of your cross, my debt is paid. Because of your blood, my sins are washed away. Now all of my life I freely give Because of your love Because of your love Because of your cross My debt is paid Because of your blood My sins are washed away Now all of my life freely give because of your love because of your love I live I just get a sense that there's someone maybe more than one in the room feeling condemned maybe because you don't see fruit and it's a direct word this morning and I just have in my heart a couple of scriptures to encourage you because I think we all go through seasons of a lack of fruit but Jesus says abide in me and you will bear much fruit if you see a lack of fruit in your life this morning that's not a bad thing because it depends on how you respond to that. If your response this morning is to feel condemned and to hide away, then it won't go well with you. But if your response, if you see a lack of fruit, is to bow before Jesus and say, Lord, I want to live my life for you. Only the Holy Spirit can make us fruitful. And we play a part. We surrender ourselves. Peter's just brought me a scripture I want to read to you. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We are not condemned this morning, church, even if there's a lack of fruits in our lives. We are called to come and present ourselves to Christ to surrender to Him this is our act of worship and He receives us because the veil has been torn and our sins have been dealt with on the cross and now He has given us His Spirit to help us live this life for Him so that we can be fruitful and we must play our part in that we must come to Him we must surrender ourselves to Him so we're going to sing this song one more time. I really want to encourage you during this time of worship to respond to the Lord this morning. Don't be condemned this morning. Come to Him in worship. Surrender your life to Him, and He will make you fruitful. Let's worship Him now. As Jesus, you endured my pain. And Savior, you bore all my shame, all because of your love. The maker of the universe, you were broken for the sins of the earth, all because of your
to set the captives free all because of your love Lord you gave your life for me so I will give my life for you all because of your love and all because of your sins are washed away now all of my life I freely give because of your love because of your love I live you did it It's your victory, Jesus, you are enough. You did it for me, you did it for love. It's your victory, Jesus, you are enough. sometimes we can feel so disappointed Lord by our own sinfulness and brokenness but Lord this morning faith arises because we remember that you are the one that our faith is built upon and it is because of you and your victory and what you have done Lord that we can come and Lord we want to come and offer our lives as a living sacrifice to you as we are we come to you Lord and we say, Lord, would you use us for your glory? That's why we're here. We're here so that you will get more and more glory. We've worshipped you this morning, but we leave and you go with us, Lord. And we are your witnesses in this city, in every uh, conversation. I pray, Lord, that we would have our eyes open to see that you are at work. And that we would allow you to use us, even in our weakness to help see, uh, show you to other people. May your light just shine out of us and your love shine from us as we live our lives for you. Help us to apply this word this morning. Lord, we don't just want to walk away and be unchanged. We want it to challenge us and change us and we want to apply it to our lives. So as we go from this place, Holy Spirit, thank you that you go with us. Thank you that you're molding us and shaping us and making us more and more like Christ. Grow us into spiritual maturity. May these things be ever increasing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to continue to worship. If you choose to stay, if you choose to go, you're welcome to uh, head out now. It's the end of the service. But please be sensitive. If someone wants to continue to pray and worship, we'll have another uh, few minutes of that. But the rest, you can head out now.
Because of your love, because of your. 